You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast brought to you by our friends Desire Resorts and Cruises. I'm Brandon Ware, your co-host for the podcast. And I'm Jess O'Reilly, your friendly neighborhood sexologist. Today I want to talk about emotional unavailability. I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) Oh, there we go. There we go. Because I've been receiving a number of questions and I was chatting about it on Instagram the other day. And it seems that many people are diagnosing their partners as emotionally unavailable. Not just their long-term partners, but people that they're dating casually. They use emotional unavailability as a reason for breaking up or a reason for not continuing to date someone because they're emotionally unavailable. But emotional unavailability isn't a formal diagnosis. It's one of those terms that I think gets tossed around kind of flippantly, like narcissism, right? And yes, some of us are emotionally unavailable by choice, or we don't engage emotionally the way you want us to. And I think other people don't even realize that we're putting up walls. And when we say emotional unavailability, we're often referring to not having the ability to talk openly about your feelings. And if we look at emotional availability as the capacity to talk openly about your feelings, it's easy to see that it's a skill. It's not a state of being. It's not something you are. It's more something you do. And what that means to me is that emotional availability can be cultivated with effort and it doesn't need to be a relationship deal breaker. So first I wanted to talk a little bit about some signs of being emotionally unavailable in your current state. So for example, if you have a partner who avoids intimate conversations or they withdraw anytime you bring up a difficult topic, this might be, uh, you know, evidence that they're emotionally unavailable, but it's also a good example of the reality that emotional unavailability isn't a matter of character. It's a matter of skill and experience and comfort level. Anybody can learn to have an intimate conversation and every single one of us without exception, we've all avoided intimate and difficult conversations at some point in time. So you can understand why your partner might utilize avoidance behaviors. They might be trying to avoid conflict or tension. They might be distracted or already stressed out by other issues and they don't have the emotional bandwidth to open up at this time or maybe they don't have the communication tools or skills to speak openly about intense topics. I mean I think it would be fair to say that do we not also experience emotional availability? Um, it, It comes and goes. It changes on a daily basis. Like I may not I just may not want to talk to you about something at a particular period of time and then that changes. Does it not? Absolutely. And that's why when we use language like this, I always want to remind people that you're not confident or insecure. You experience moments of confidence and you experience moments of insecurity. I mean, confident, of course, you want to like yourself overall, but everything that we are is fluid. 
But I hear people reading about someone will read a BuzzFeed article mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden in a conversation, well, you're emotion, emotionally unavailable or my partner. And I'm like, really? Like, that's what you think? You read one article and your partner or whomever is unwilling or unable to talk about something. And that's the basis upon which you're going to use to decide to terminate that relationship. Or it's this hierarchy. It's this idea that I've read something and this is it. Right. I know a word or I know a phrase and therefore I expect you to live up to my definition of this phrase. Or how about reflecting back on your own state and whether or not you've been that way with your partner at any given point in time? We've all been that way. I've I've sometimes come home after a speaking tour and I don't want to talk to anyone. So I'm friendly. I love talking to people. I talk to everyone. I think they really wish I would go away. (laughs) But They wish you were emotionally unavailable. Yeah, they're like, why is this woman so emotionally available (laughs) and just so physically available? Get away from me. But after being away for a week and not only being on stage and sometimes facilitating longer workshops and hearing people's emotional stories and and responding to people's very serious disclosures and then generally just being a chatty person talking to the people at the coffee shop and talking to the people on the plane and talking to the to the folks I meet on the street sometimes I come home and I I just need a break just so everyone knows Jess will talk to people at the coffee shop and leave me outside with when we had our dog in the cold It'd be like minus 10 the two of us are outside shivering away you're in there chatty Kathy Okay, but did we ever talk about the fact that I even made a friend at the coffee shop and they gave me seven floor level tickets to the... The TFC. It wasn't TFC, it was the the International League. Do you remember? It was uh, the TFC was playing the Tigres. Yes, that's right. They were playing the the Mexican team. So this is a big game. And I just met him five minutes ago, but because I'm a chatty person. And then it turns out his wife is a Tantra instructor. So you meet so many people if you just talk to people. And so Brandon and I, we live in Toronto where people really don't talk. They don't even say good morning or hello. When I say hi to people, they look at me like I want to eat them. I think Torontonians are nice people. Mm -hmm. I don't think they are friendly people. Exactly. And I think that everyone assumes that we're, oh, we're Canadian. We're super friendly. No, man. We do things for work and um, one of which involves getting out and uh, for my own real estate company, getting out and trying to meet people. And when you say good morning to someone on the side of the street and you don't know them, they think you're an alien. Give them some context. So every Tuesday morning for many, many years, Brandon and his company have given back to the community by giving out free quantum coffee in the King West area of Toronto. Yeah, we do it. And we don't expect anything in return. We just simply ask people, I mean, all the realtors that work with me, we all just hand out coffee and we offer a simple good morning to people. And I've had people that I can think of not acknowledge us for the last six years because it's like they think we're going to I don't know, I'll, you know, force them into something. Well, yeah, to be fair, because you are a branded type uh, installation or activation, I'm sure people are afraid they have to buy something or you're going to want to pressure them. But just generally in Toronto, people have difficulty just saying hi. I want to start this movement called Warm Up Toronto. I do it just to play with the dogs. It's true. Yeah. It's true. He has his regulars who come every Tuesday and he knows them only by their dog names. Grayson Ruby. Ruby the dog can... Barrel roll, high five. Anyway. She's a corgi. We love a corgi. You know, I was just in Bangkok 
And in Bangkok, they have a corgi cafe where you go and have coffee or tea or cake. And it, they it's filled with corgis. And I really wanted to go, but I didn't have time. I would be emotionally unavailable for that entire trip. We would just go to the corgi cafe. I'd be like, no one talk to me. <laughs> You'd be emotionally available only to the dogs. Yeah. And dogs are a good example of a tool that can help people to open up. So some people who maybe aren't physically affectionate or don't say how much they love you, they're able to do it with a dog. So it's really good practice. Our dog recently passed, as we've talked about before. And that is the one thing that I think, one of the things I miss the most is the physical component of uh, having a dog and holding and touching her like it's really so I see what you're saying about how the dog uh, having a pet for that matter can really help with the um, the emotional connection and physical touch component well in fact research shows that when you take a dog into a workplace it makes people more collaborative more trusting and more physically close oh I believe that entirely When, when you bring a pet into the mix people that are interested or like pets are all of a sudden focused on that and I think it I think it breaks down that initial barrier to um, to a relationship to a conversation absolutely yeah and for you for example you're physically affectionate with me but you don't touch anybody else so that dog that you snuggled kind of all day all night you took her everywhere with you when he talks about standing outside the coffee shop while I was chatting on the inside he would have the dog inside of her his coat because she was so small. Yeah, man, that was that was where she hung out when we were waiting for our coffee. Yeah, and we're, we are a touch-deprived society. I mean, that's a whole other topic to address. But if we go back to a partner who avoids intimate conversations or withdraws when you bring up difficult topics, you know, the good news, of course, is that circumstances change. You can help to put them at ease. And with practice, they can develop these skills to communicate more effectively So it's important to realize that just because you believe you are more emotionally available doesn't in fact make it so because your perception of your own skills is biased and you can't expect your partner to communicate in the same way that you do. They may have a different communication style and so you want to look for middle ground as opposed to expecting them to just meet your expectations. You might also have a partner who refuses to express any vulnerability because allowing yourself to be vulnerable really requires trust. So the more you build trust in your relationship, the more your partner will appear emotionally available. And if if you feel your partner isn't opening up, I like to avoid labels like emotionally unavailable. And because I think that comes with accusations. I think that begins with, you know, this deficit model. And I think you're more likely to get a positive response and a willingness to even consider some behavioral change if you talk about how you feel as opposed to making accusations, these fake diagnoses, and telling your partner what they're doing wrong. So if you're frustrated, for example, that your partner won't talk about sensitive or personal topics, you know, you might realize that maybe they're feeling insecure, right? Maybe they're afraid of losing you. Maybe they're afraid of exposing themselves. So You play a role in this. Maybe you can talk about the the underlying feeling instead of just complaining that they they won't open up. But how do you even begin that conversation? It's like I'm thinking about being in a relationship with somebody and not having this deeper, meaningful conversation. So the first time I want to address it, or maybe, you know, I, I think that it might be a positive in our relationship. How would 
you even approach that from the very beginning? Well, first and foremost, if you're looking for your partner to meet you at your emotional state, you have to consider whether your expectations are realistic. So before we even begin, remember that your idea of emotional unavailability may not be your partner's, and it's possible that you just want more emotional expression and you want more emotional support than your partner's willing to give. And you have the right to request that they open up in a specific way, and we'll get to that. And you can tell them that you'd like them to share or support you in a way that works for you. And hopefully they're open to considering your needs, but they're also not required to meet every last one of your needs. And I'm always concerned when one partner, as I said, diagnoses the other with the problem, because this deficit approach usually places all or most of the responsibility for change on the other partner instead of considering the ways in which you can both make behavioral changes to meet meet in the middle. So perhaps you should reframe your approach to acknowledge that maybe you're just not emotionally compatible right now. It doesn't mean they're unavailable. You're just not compatible and you both need to work to become compatible. It is not their job alone. You're wanting, you really want to look for middle ground And you're not going to get anywhere, as I said, if you accuse them of a deficit. So if you tell them what you want, they might be more open to meeting your needs. So that brings us to, before you talk to them, identify what you want first. When you say that they're emotionally unavailable, you're criticizing them. So rather than focusing on what they're not doing, identify what you want them to do. Do you want them to be more honest when they're feeling down? Do you want them to open up and talk about their insecurities? Do you want them to attend therapy with you? Do you want them to listen more attentively when you're feeling emotional? Do you want them to acknowledge your struggles rather than dismissing them? Do you want them to check in on how you're feeling more often? Do you want them to be more physically affectionate? Do you want them to discuss the future and, you know, talk about plans they've been avoiding? Do you want them to talk to you about sex and what turns them on? Do you want them to engage in conversations that are scary? Maybe you want to talk about having a budget or you want to discuss your estate or will planning. And so what is it that you want? Because if you just make these sweeping statements and if you just want them to be more like you, you are not asking them to be emotionally available. You're asking them to be you. And hopefully you don't want them to be you. Such a great idea to think about the the root cause of what you're trying to address. Because I think we're very, I mean, in the past, I've been very accusatory when the the questions start surfacing and these feelings. So you just automatically think to yourself, well, you're being emotionally unavailable if I read that BuzzFeed article or that, you know, that article. And that's not really going to accomplish anything. Whereas if I actually take a moment, I'm not lazy, and I think about what's really, what I want to accomplish I'm going to get a lot more out of the conversation and it's going to be so much, um, it's going to be so beneficial to our relationship too. Right. And, and even conveying what it is I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get when I, when I initiate that conversation with you. Right. And if you can identify what you want, just choose one or two, maybe, maybe three things to begin with. And you can consider why you want it. Why do you want them to express their feelings in a specific way? Do you think opening up about their own insecurities might help you to better understand them so you can be a better partner? 
Or do you just want them to open up about their insecurities because you do? If it's a tit-for-tat situation, you're really not going to get anywhere. So you'll not only want to share what it is you're asking for, but you also want to share the reason behind your request. Because if I say that, you know, I want you to sit down and talk about, let's just say it's a difficult conversation around, around sex. In their mind, they're going to go straight to worst case scenario. Oh my gosh, they don't like it. I'm not good. They're not satisfied. They're cheating on me. They want something else. Whereas if I can say, I want to talk about sex because this is this is just something that's really important and it feels really good with you. And I know, let's say for example, I want to have it more. I know that if we talk about it, we'll do it more and it's so worth it. I think the that's a biggie. I hear so many people comment, as you said at the beginning, you're trying to fix your partner or you're trying to fix your other half. And that was that was like a, a light a light bulb just went off for me when I think about this, where if I assume or rather if I approach the conversation from the perspective of trying to fix something of my own rather than uh, trying to fix something of yours and I convey that from the beginning, it's going to make that conversation and that outcome so much more, so much better for me because I'm, I'm resolving something that's bothering me that's my issue, not I'm going to fix something that's your issue. And again, even that accusatory approach I think is what a lot of, I mean, I've done that where I come into this a conversation or I have done it, I come into a conversation and I'm like, I, um, you know, you're, you're emotionally unavailable. Well, well, no, or, you know, I want to talk about, uh, you know, these issues, um, in our sex life when in reality it's, I want to talk about my own issues. Hmm. I've never felt like you've tried to fix me. No, I don't think I've wanted to ever fix you, but I've wanted to talk about something but shirked responsibility about my own issues right. by assuming it's somebody else's or yours. Right. And I think if we were to go back 15 years, you know, to when we were younger and I was in my early 20s and women are always told that we're more emotionally mature than men. And I'm sure that I thought I was. I'm sure that I thought I had things figured out. And, you know, when I reflect back now, I joke about you being an old man but you have all, you've always been an old soul. You've always been really grounded and you've always been really mature. I picture you, I didn't know you, but I can imagine that when you were 15 years old, you were just a very thoughtful, mature person. I know you screw around a lot. I know you make a lot of jokes, but when it comes to this relationship, it was your maturity that carried us through when I was, I guess I could say young and dumb. I mean, I'm a very mature individual, <laughs> yes. and oftentimes I schedule things into my calendar. Oh, Brandon. <laughs> so <laughs> if, you're, if you're ready and you've identified what you want and why you want it, it, you know, it's time to approach your partner. And you want to think about timing. You don't want to approach them when you're fighting. You don't want to talk about this while you're frustrated because you're stuck in traffic. But find a time when tensions are nice and low and make your request. Don't make an accusation. Don't assume you're right. Don't be entitled. Just tell them what you're thinking you want and and why you want it. And timing is really important. I think a lot of the times we don't talk about issues when we're feeling good because we don't want to wreck the moment. But the best time to you know make change or accomplish anything or break through is when you're feeling good. So you might you, you might say something like, "Oh, I, I want to talk about how often we have sex." because I, I know it's really important in our relationship. And I, you know, I feel a little uncomfortable talking about it too, but I think it's worth pushing through the discomfort so that we can better understand one another. So once you've stated that you want to engage in a potentially emotional conversation, they might be open to it right away or they might not. 
And if they don't want to talk about it right away, don't get mad at them. Don't pressure them. Ask them if there's a better time. You know, say, you know, when do you think we could talk about it? Right? Leave it in their court and and give them options. Could you talk about it while you go for a walk so that you're shoulder to shoulder and not face to face? It can feel less intimidating. Could you talk about it for just 10 minutes on the weekend so they, they, they don't feel pressure to have a big, long, drawn-out conversation. Uh, Would they rather write down their thoughts ahead of time? Would you like to do the same? Would they rather talk about it maybe with a therapist, uh, either on their own or with you to help facilitate the conversation? I mean, I've been talking about therapy with some friends this week, and it is just becoming more normalized as something we do to take care of ourselves. You know, you might see a personal trainer to take care of your fitness, and it's not when something is wrong. You do it because it's it's supporting your overall health, and a therapist is supporting your mental health, your emotional health. So if you're coming from a place of love, you'll always make an effort to make your partner comfortable in the conversation, especially if these types of conversations and interactions are new. So you want to look for ways to make them feel emotionally safe. You want to consider whether you could be maybe a little more flexible, a little less judgmental. How, how have you responded in the past to emotional expressions and how could you respond in a more supportive way in the future? Because everyone who has been messaging me about this term emotional unavailability is always talking about someone else. It's always their partner. I, I got a message from someone who said that she just keeps going on dates but all the guys are emotionally unavailable and emotional availability and openness develops with time and with trust so I and I do want to remind people that if you keep running into the same problems you do want to acknowledge that the common denominator is you and I've I've had to do this I've had to do this and say why do I keep struggling with the same issues with multiple people well it's me I'm doing something that makes people or encourages people to react in a specific way. No, I'm not responsible for their behavior, but something about me is encouraging it. And one more thing for emotional you know, openness or expression, I think it's important to also use a simple framework, like for example, the five love languages, if you haven't looked at these yet. And if you're not familiar with the five languages of love, they're Gary Chapman's framework for how we give and receive love. And he suggests an old book I think it's from the 90s he suggests that there are five primary languages and we each have a primary and secondary love language and you have to learn to speak your partners because I may give love in a different way than Brandon gives love and I'm speaking it's like I'm speaking Japanese but don't you have a sixth language didn't you say something the other day or like months or a couple years ago about the sixth love language yeah i sometimes talk about a sixth love language so i'll go through the love languages really quickly so the first being well they're not in any particular order whatever's in my head right now uh, words of affirmation so i feel most loved when you really tell me how much you love me i love you with more than three words. Nah, that's all I got. I'm not very expressive. Well, you have to work on it because that's in fact my love language. I really And I really do have to work on it. I'm not very good. Right. And so if you say you're not very good though, you're not going to be very good. No, no, no. I'm not very good, but I'm trying. Maybe yeah. I should have finished my... I, I listen to a lot of R&B, just, <laughs> just trying to get all the words down, you know, because I mean, it's so smooth, right? You do try though. I know it doesn't come naturally to you, but you know it's important to me. So a few years ago when I was on a a tour for a couple of weeks, Brandon wrote a whole bunch, maybe a dozen little notes and hid them in my suitcase. And some of them were very sweet and loving and some of them were a little sexy, but he hid them in different 
parts of my clothing so I found them throughout the trip and I I looked at that and I knew that was not easy for Brandon that might be easy for me but I knew a lot of work went into that for you it did and I hope that none of the notes fell out at inopportune times no like during a presentation or something no so the first is I feel most loved when you tell me with your your words words of affirmation the next is active acts of service I feel most loved when you do little favors for me, when you go out of your way for me. So Brandon, you do a lot of acts of service. Yeah, I find value. (laughs) I feel like you'll appreciate when I do things and hopefully not handyman things because I'm great at breaking stuff. But if it's putting out the garbage or picking you up or... Yeah, um, putting out the garbage isn't really an act of service no. for me because it's not something I do. But you do. You, you drive me to the airport. You pick me up from the airport. You'll offer to pick me up from a game. Make you a coffee. You make me... Oh, and coffee in this house is a process because Brandon weighs the beans. Then he hand grinds the beans with the HG1. And then he pulls the shots of espresso. And then he foams the milk. So it's quite a process. Barista Brandon. Barista Brandon is right. So we have words of affirmation, acts of service, quality time. I feel most loved when you really set time aside for me. You turn off your phone and you're just focused on me. The next is physical affection. I feel most loved when you when you physically touch me, when you kiss me, when you hug me, when you snuggle me. And then the fifth that nobody ever admits to, uh, except Vicky Sparks. Vicky Sparks is one of the co-hosts on the Global Morning Show. And this is receiving gifts. So I feel most loved when you give me a thoughtful or generous gift. So to to recap, we've got words of affirmation, acts of service, quality time, physical affection, and receiving gifts. And so if you're able to identify which of these languages resonates most with you, which, and now they all sound good. Of course, we want all of them. And you should learn to express yourself in multiple languages. But most importantly, You want to understand what your partner's primary love language is so that you can communicate in a way that works for them. So for example, Brandon does a lot of acts of service for me, but that's, that's not even in the top three of my love languages. Mine are words of affirmation. And then my secondary language is physical affection. And so if I can express it to him, you know, this is what I need to hear, or this is how I want you to touch me. He's more likely to, you know, meet my, my love and emotional needs. Yeah, but you still haven't told us what the sixth love language oh, is. So I think for a lot of young people, and it to some degree it's an extension of words of affirmation, but because so much of what we do today is public, I think that the you know corollary love language is public declarations. So when you publicly declare your love for me, or you publicly, you know, for example, Brennan, when I first started in this field and I was just building, it felt really good that you'd always take my work and post it on your Facebook. Or if I, you know, when early on when I wasn't cited in the media so much, it was kind of a big deal that I was in Cosmopolitan and you'd always post like, oh, I'm so proud of my partner for doing this. And you still do it to some degree. But I think that that can feel really good too. You're not, you know, getting on Facebook and saying, I'm the luckiest man alive. I have the best wife in the world, blah, blah, blah. Not necessarily that, but you're just being really supportive publicly. And that felt really good, especially because I'm in a field where, you know, my, my relationship matters to people. It's also nice when you do see that post from somebody where they do express how much they care about you. Absolutely. So if you can explore your love languages... Uh, you know, one way to, you can go online and just look at the love languages and do the quiz to try and figure out yours. But you might also want to talk about 
other relationships uh, and how you expressed love and feelings in other relationships. So open up a dialogue to discuss with your partner. How, how did they feel growing up? How did their parents treat them? What made them feel safe? What made them feel threatened? When they consider their parents or their guardians, what did they do well? with regard to emotional expression what did they not do well because sometimes this is really interesting to me and I see this in my family all the time sometimes we can identify an area for improvement or a deficit in the other people we love but not directly in ourselves so we'll say oh well my mom did this or my my uncle did this and then we don't realize that we're also doing it so if they can acknowledge that you know maybe their father withdrew whenever there was a conflict And, you know, that made their home life more tense. They might be able to identify that this is also something they don't want to do. So they're not going to say, oh, yeah, I do that too. But they might be more aware of avoiding it. And so they may not admit they do it, but simply naming the behavior in someone else can help them to address it moving forward. Your partner may also need help accessing their emotional vocabulary. So they might not have any practice saying I feel sad, I feel angry, I feel nervous, I feel anxious, I feel happy, I feel conflicted because maybe they didn't grow up hearing those words. And I think, you know, of course, gender can play a role. Men are given permission to access far fewer emotions than women. Yeah, I don't feel or express those emotions on the regular. I've had to learn to, more importantly, I've learned to be vulnerable you had commented on that earlier and how much it changes your interactions with other people, whether it's your, uh, your partner or your friends. Yeah. And you know, one thing I struggle with is the fact that I don't open up with a lot of people. I open up with you, open up a little here and in small groups when I'm working, but I don't have, I don't have a ton of friends that I'm super open with. I have a few And I, you know what, I think I've probably said this before, I don't spend enough time with them. And so that can put a lot of pressure on you to fulfill all of my emotional needs. So I was thinking of some apps. I've had some clients who use an app called Vent, V-E-N-T. And so it allows you to pick from a list of feelings and share your thoughts online. Now, obviously not everyone wants to post online and interact with an online community. So even just using the emotional wheel or the list of emotions online to start there. And, and you can take the lead and admit that sometimes you have trouble expressing yourself. So you're using this emotional prompt list just to start regular conversations on the daily. And you, you want to talk about how you feel every day because emotional expressions don't need to be relegated to intimate topics or sexual topics or to special times, but we are emotional about everything. Every interaction is an emotional interaction. It's why if you go to a coffee shop and the barista is not particularly nice to you, you feel something. Yeah, they're dick to you because you're wearing a suit. Brandon's a little sensitive because we have a hipster scene here in Toronto and they don't like people wearing suits. I'm just joking around. Once I get to know you, it's cool. But I've had a few encounters where I feel like they've judged me a bit in advance because I'm not wearing tight enough clothes well rest assured that wearing a suit is probably not the outfit that gets you the most judgment true true people have it much worse than wearing a suit i agree i'm just i'm just playing so to go back to perhaps the most important piece here and perhaps i've driven this home a little bit hard but i still really want to reinforce it 
if you want change, you can't act like you're trying to fix someone. And I really see this often. One person, as I said, believes they're more emotionally mature, more advanced, and they believe not only are they entitled to, but also qualified to fix their partner. When you feel like you have it all together and you feel like your partner isn't living up to your expectations, you might believe that if they just became more like you, they'd be happier and you'd be happier. But this is a matter of your own bias. It's what we call, it's a form of, of normative idealization. So we not only idealize and rationalize our own choices, but we derive comfort and confidence in these choices from the belief that everyone else would benefit from following in our footsteps. And we see this bias everywhere. You know, we rationalize our choices so that we feel better about them. And then we project it onto our partners. We see this when we look at relationship arrangements, right? Monogamous people feel they have it worked out and they think something's wrong with consensually non-monogamous people. Some consensually non-monogamous people feel that they're more evolved and sometimes there's some passing of judgment on monogamous people. Not all people, not all people act like this, but that is the normative idealization and it's, it's a self-protection mechanism. If you were more like me, you'd be happier is a way to tell myself that, hey, I'm doing things right. So move away from that fixing mentality and just focus on asking for the support you want. Now, Remember that not all people, not all families, not all cultures, not all genders have been socialized to express emotion similarly. And so you're going to have to accept a degree of difference or you'll never be happy. You know, if your partner doesn't want to talk about something and maybe they don't want to talk about anything, maybe this is a repeated pattern of behavior and they won't address issues that are important to you, it's possible you're at an impasse. If they're not willing to talk about anything that's important to you and you want a certain type of communication, they want another, you have to decide whether you're willing to deal with this differential. You can make changes to become compatible, right? You can, you know, give some things up and accept that they're not going to do that. They can learn some new skills and push their comfort zone, but you have to find, you know, space to meet in the middle. And you, if you're feeling your partner isn't as emotionally present or supportive or articulate as you are, you need to look for other sources of support. Your partner can't fulfill your every need. I mean, do you talk about your feelings with other people? This is what I was saying earlier, that maybe I'm not so good at that. Maybe I put too much on you, babe. Yeah, I think at times you do, but I'm sure I do the same. And I think that's part of being in, I mean, that's what, our relationship. This is what works for us and we can make it better. But... Well, and I've said that to you in the past that, you know, if you don't talk to other people, if you basically just work and then come home to me, the emotional burden falls upon me. And this is actually quite common in, in hetero relationships where women might talk to their friends or their siblings or their parents uh, and men maybe don't talk to anybody about serious stuff, about how they're feeling, about how they're doing. And so that emotional burden is something that women are forced to bear. Now, of course, in our in our circumstances, I think maybe the roles are a bit reversed. You know, I'm gone for work, I come home, and then maybe I just unleash on you. Yeah, I've also had to learn to express myself to some close friends. And some of my close friends still won't, we, we don't have deep conversations. I was out with a friend the other day, and it was awkward. He wanted to express his condolences for our dog who passed away, and he was genuinely 
It was uncomfortable for him. I know he pushed his boundaries expressing his condolences, but it was really hard. Whereas, you know, a week or two weeks ago, I'm out with another friend who this kind of interesting relationship has evolved over the last couple of years. And I'm expressing to him what happened. And we're both almost in tears in a coffee shop. Um, so, but that, that came with a comfort in knowing that I wasn't going to be judged because I think in my circle or what I was kind of reared to believe is that you, you do maintain this stoic kind of, um, expression very, uh, you don't express a lot of emotion and you certainly don't express, uh, um, sadness because it's associated with, um, weakness. And I think bottling that up and not expressing it mm. is really, it could be really hard on your partner, number one, because you're going to some, it's going to leak out in some way. But also really hard on yourself. And that's what I was going to say. It's also really hard on yourself because you end up, it manifests itself and it comes out in other ways. You get upset because somebody didn't put their coat away <laughs> at home or the dishes are out or somebody at the office left the stapler somewhere. And it's like, you're not really upset about that. You're upset about something much deeper that you can't address. And you and I come from different backgrounds. You talk about being raised to be quite stoic. And, you know, I come from a, a quite expressive background on one side. So I'm Chinese Jamaican on one. And on the my mother's raised in Jamaica. So we, we draw from both Chinese and Jamaican culture. But effusive expressions of all sorts of feelings were the norm. Not all feelings, right? We, we still struggle with some of the vulnerabilities. But when we're angry, you'll know. <laughs> Uh, when, when you're f- when you're excited, we know. Yeah, when when we're hungry. <laughs> God. What's your strongest emotion? Hunger. Hunger. Yeah. <laughs> That's a familial trait, not a cultural one. And then blending Chinese and Jamaican is kind of interesting, the stoicism and the effusive expression. And then on my dad's side, we're Irish Catholic, which is a whole other thing, but I would say I probably derived more of my cultural values and expectations from my mother's side. And so you and I coming together, had to had to work that out. I mean, you did have emotional expression in your house. You definitely knew when your mom was upset. Yeah, I wouldn't say that we didn't know when people were upset or happy, but it was more as as a man forming these friendships later in, you know, I'm in my 40s now, and if you haven't had these meaningful relationships, it's hard to all of a sudden one day call up a friend or somebody who you're close to and say, I want to have a more meaningful chat other than talking about the Raptors or something else that seemingly is superficial. Nothing wrong with that. I'm saying though, sometimes things happen in life that require, or uh, personally, I want a deeper conversation. Go Raps. Go Raps. We the North. Yeah. (laughs) So if you are looking to make more emotional expression a part of your daily interaction so that you can feel more emotionally connected so that you can change the way you approach mundane, more conversations on a daily basis. Think about the small questions you ask your partner. So instead of asking, how was your day? Maybe ask, what was the best part of your day? The specificity can help them to access some of their emotional vocabulary. And even if they don't use feeling words right away, they'll be using corollary words and providing insight to sources of joy or pleasure if you ask what was the best part of your day or was there a tough part of your day today also kind of inspires new conversations and that was one of the things that i know you've highlighted in the past about keeping 
you know, your relationship exciting and passionate. And I, that to me would, you know, best part of your day. And then you drop something that the other person didn't know. And then it, a whole new conversation exists. Right. I often say that the death of passion and relationship occurs when your conversation becomes reduced to three things, your family and or kids, your work and business money, and your schedule. So this is what I'm going to do today. This is what I did yesterday. This is what I'm doing tomorrow. And of course, you have to talk about those things. From a logistic perspective, you have to discuss your family, your job, and your schedule. But if that's all you talk about, you're not getting to the deeper stuff. You're not talking about your dreams, your fears, your insecurities, your philosophies, your big plans, the types of conversations you have when you first meet. And people often believe that it's just the novelty that makes love so exciting in the beginning. But it's not just the novelty. It's the fear of the unknown. It's the discovery. It's peeling back the layers to get get at the person. And I always want to be peeling back the layers with you. I want to know that there's always something to learn about you. You're making me think of like Buffalo Bill right now. We're peeling back the layers. I don't know who Buffalo Bill is. Hannibal Lecter. Oh. The whole cannibal thing going on. Oh no, gross. We're, we're, no. We're, we're digging back. We're digging deep. But I like the idea of having new conversations because I'm guilty of this. I definitely talk a lot about work and about schedule. And with our schedule, sometimes it's hard. So... Throwing in a new question like best part of your day. Yeah. And instead of asking directly, how are you feeling? If you have a partner who's adverse to talking about the emotional, rather than asking more generally, how are you feeling? Or, you know, ask what made you feel great today? Ask them what they're most looking forward to this week. Ask them if there's anything you can do to help them feel relaxed, for example, When they're feeling down, ask them what you can do to cheer them up. Don't ask them to explain themselves or provide a full explanation for how they're feeling because oftentimes it feels like you're just getting at solutions. Asking them what's the matter, forget about that when they're upset if you know that they're adverse to these conversations. I'm not saying that everybody should do things one way, okay? You do what works for you. But if you have a partner who tends to emotionally withdraw, Ask them what they need as opposed to asking them why they're feeling what they're feeling at the time. You're not really entitled to an explanation, but you're more likely to actually get one if you show support first when they're experiencing not so positive emotions. Wow, I am Mr. Solutions. And I knew that this was my problem. I, I would hear you, you would express how you're feeling and it may be a problem or something wrong. And then all of a sudden I'd start making solutions or formulating solutions to your problem. And it was only when you told me, stop trying to find solutions to these problems, just listen to me, that it really, it, it made a big change. I found it, it changed how we had these discussions where I just shut my mouth, I actively listened, and I still don't do it perfectly every single time, but I think to myself, okay, just be quiet for a minute, let them express how they're feeling, and that as a baseline, you, you know, solutions will come. Yeah, that's interesting because when I'm feeling frustrated with something, sometimes I want a solution. You know, I made a big mistake this week that I had to fix uh, where I, I, it it was a scheduling issue and it ended up costing me a bunch of money (laughs) to fix it. And in that case, I just needed a solution. But if I'm frustrated about, say, an ongoing issue with a family member, sometimes I do just need to vent a little bit. And sometimes I actually can find it insulting when you offer solutions because 
I think, yeah, I know. I can come up with that myself. And so I think what's most important is clarifying to one another what you need when you feel a certain way. So we have this video course that's going to be launched in about a month and there are 50 different exercises to improve your relationship. And one of them has to do with expressing what you need when you feel something. So when I am frustrated, I want you to shut up and listen and I don't want you to offer solutions. So that is not the answer. That's my answer. And so you would go through all of these. When I feel stressed out, I want you to be physically affectionate. I don't want you to ask me to explain myself. And so my answers are going to be different than Brandon's answers and they're going to be different than your answers. And that's why these exercises and these conversations are so important to actually clarify what it is you you need because people will say, what should I do when my wife does this? Or what does my husband mean when he says this? And I don't know. I don't know them. I can help you to facilitate those conversations. I can tell you that patterns exist, but humans don't always fit neatly into these patterns and there are always exceptions, which is why it comes back down to it. If you want to have a happy relationship, you have to talk about what that entails. What a what a great activity that was. 18 years we've been living together and doing that for that video section was once again eye-opening because it changes what your partner needs and what they want and also what you need and what you want. I remember thinking about what it was I needed when I was stressed mm-hmm. and it was, again, like a light bulb went off and I was like oh yeah, this is what works for me and I hadn't really thought about it. Now I've said it and I feel so much better and you've told me what you need and now this is going to make things so much easier the next time we're in an argument or we're having a discussion. Right, and then I can say to you if I have the language, oh, I'm feeling really stressed and you can remember what I need or I can even remind you. Like It's not like you have to remember my formula. So these are these are important conversations to be having. And I'm glad we had a chance to talk a little bit about emotional availability and unavailability because these terms really do get tossed around and they sound like diagnoses when in fact they're just behaviors and we can adjust the way we think, we can adjust the way we behave and when you change the way you think and the way you behave, it affects the way you feel. So you can't directly change your feelings but you can you can adjust your feelings via your behaviors and your thoughts. So just to recap, if you are dealing with your own emotional unavailability or you feel it's your partner, you know, begin by considering whether your expectations are realistic and remembering that you're not fixing them. Identify specifically what it is you want from them behaviorally. When you're ready to make your request, make sure it's not framed as a complaint. Give them options as to when and how you talk about these things because just because you want to talk doesn't mean they have to be prepared to talk. And look for different ways to make them feel emotionally safe. Explore the five love languages and, you know, help them to access their emotional vocabulary, but without talking down to them. If, if you go to them like you're their therapist, again, fixing them, you're going to, you're going to hit a brick wall. So focus on really what it is you want and consider whether or not you're meeting them halfway. And if neither of you is willing to meet halfway, You've got a compatibility issue because compatibility is about effort and being willing to find common ground. It's not about wanting the same things. And if you're not willing to make adjustments to find common ground, probably going to be happy or be unhappy and, and struggle to be fulfilled 
in the long run. Uh, so you're going to have to accept some degree of difference, of course. You're going to want to look for other sources of support and then try and use some of these questions that I mentioned to make emotional expression a, a part of your daily interactions as opposed to something you do when there's a problem or you're trying to get at the root of an issue. So there are a lot of options there. I need to make this into a one-pager. So I suggest you just pick one to begin with. Pick one. Maybe start with looking at your own behavior. Uh, most people come to me with problems in their relationship and they point their fingers at their partner. And we can usually resolve many of them on our own first. So I, I know like all of these things that I talk about are things that I struggle with. Right? So I can have the information and it doesn't mean that I utilize it in a perfect way. So babe, thanks for sitting in on this one. Yeah, I don't know how much I really added to this other than my own personal experience, but it was great. That's Yeah, well, that's what we're looking for. Big thank you again to Desire Resorts and Cruises. Check them out at Desire Experience on social media. Brennan and I will be heading out on a cruise with them in the fall, as well as the red carpet cruise in May, which still has space available. Check them out at Desire Experience. Folks, have a lovely week wherever you're at. We'll be back next Friday and every Friday morning. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.